Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston and we're recording on the Monday morning after Manchester United were defeated in the Manchester Derby 3-0 by Manchester City, of course, on the Sunday evening at Old Trafford. I think, sadly, uh, guys, Samuel Lockhurst and Rich Fay was probably a result we expected. We all saw it coming. The game developed as, as we thought it would. Um, 3-0, Samuel, a really terrible performance. This podcast is going to be another inquest, isn't it? Unfortunately, it is. And contrary to popular belief, we're not always itching for United to to get beaten because as Chris Wheeler was saying to me, I said before the game, he was saying, look, we can really do without an inquest tomorrow. I'm off on Monday. I suspect he's not off today now um, because there's going to be a demand for, for coverage as to what's going wrong at United. And a hell of a lot is going wrong. I don't think any of us really envisage this spiral to happen so quickly or so spectacularly and that derby yesterday I think that's probably the most sobering for United fans of the all the derby defeats they've had in the past decade and it, it was reminiscent of too many it was reminiscent of the three nil under Moyes uh, the the two I think there were a couple of two nils under Solskjaer that that league cup first leg under Solskjaer when they were three nil down at half time as well and City at the moment are at their absolute apex under Pep Guardiola and their supporters are singing chants that United fans would have been singing yesteryear. And I think that's the starkness of it. There was one chance City fans were singing Champions of England, Champions of Europe, that United fans used to chant verbatim 15 years ago when they were the Champions of England, they were the Champions of Europe. The way it's going, you talk about 15 years, I, th I think United seem destined to go at least 15 years without winning the league but looking at more immediate matters at hand Eric Ten Hag just had a, a dreadful dreadful day it was one of his worst days as, as United manager the selections when that team dropped I think a lot of United fans what were was the word you completely used? Was startled. It, was it horrendous or was it disgraceful on chat you said I, I, did, I the did, podcast yeah I did say that that team is a disgrace uh, the, the back four I just I think you you said it um I put it in the blog for the Brentford game. I'd called it a, an unbefitting defence of Manchester United. And I really think Ten Hag is, has looked at that defence having started it against Brentford and Sheffield United and they, they won and thought, well, we can win again with that defence as if that's remotely relevant when you're coming up against the best club team in, in the world and, and probably the best array of attackers in, in any club side as well. And that defence was asking for it and they got it. Uh, again, Diogo Dallo breaks off from the lineup and he's really pumped up with the supporters and then he doesn't back it up during the game. Johnny Evans played like a 35-year-old against Erling Haaland. Um, the, Victor Lindelof at left-back, I can't fathom. I f he, he doesn't play well at left-back. He isn't a left-back. Just play a left-back. Uh, that, that was the reason why they signed Sergio Reguillon on loan. Varane, okay, in the mid in midweek, he, he he was pretty creaky in that first half against Copenhagen, but he is still their best centre back, and just logically, you would he, he's one of the first names on the team sheet. You put him on, you put him down to start ahead of Maguire and ahead of Evans, um, and and further up top, McTominay goes. He's an attacking mi midfielder in the first half, then he's a defensive midfielder in the second half. I thought Ericsson in midfield was was misguided as well. I, I agreed with the decision to start Ericsson, but putting him in midfield against City, he was always bound to get overwhelmed. Sofian Amrabat, it just 
operating at the sedate Serie A pace. And the thing with that is that there were people at United that foresaw that problem with Amrabat. There were people at the club that weren't convincing him. But as they have done under Ten Hag, they've bought players for the manager rather than the football club. And a serious football club does not operate that way. When the team used Dropperich, right? We saw that team. Ferran on the bench, Reguillon on the bench. Everyone presumed it was for fitness reasons. Yeah. Um, obviously, both have had little niggles in the last few weeks. As Samuel says, Lindelof at left back, Johnny Evans at centre-off. And then he comes out and says it was for tactical reasons. And at that point, you think, do you take that for face value? He doubles down in Sky Sports when he speaks to the, the rights holders. Samuel asked him in the press conference he, to press them on the issue. Triple down. Yeah, triple down, <laughs> you can say that. And then he gave a, a tactical explanation why he actually made those selections. But surely that's just baffling. It's indefensible. Yeah. And so yeah. you've got a World Cup winner and you're starting him over a, a defender who's relegated with Leicester and released on yeah. a free. Well, Something like I've said, you know, there's shades of Louis van Gaal creeping in with Eric yeah, Tanag lately. That's, and, that's the big worry. And, you know, it is... You just look at United now, spent £400 million on Eric Ten Hag, and they're approaching a derby the same way Solskjaer used to approach a derby fundamentally. And I know you can say, look, we've had the injury problems. That's always going to be a caveat. It's always going to be some sort of mitigation. But fundamentally, you're now making selections that just do not make sense whatsoever. And Ty made a great point yesterday as well. He said, look, United have now made a half-time sub in seven of their nine home games this season, in the last four games in a row as well. You can, you know, sometimes you praise the manager and say, oh, he's, he's quick to use his bench. It also means he's got his selection wrong four weeks in a row now because he's had to go to the bench at half-time. And everyone, everyone knew when that team dropped yesterday that it just wasn't good enough and you were asking for trouble. I mean... Johnny Evans didn't even play against Harland last season because he was injured both times. Throwing him in against him in a derby alongside Harry Maguire is just... It's, it's suicidal, really, isn't it's, it? Yeah, you're, just, you're asking for it. And like Samuel said, it's not just even Harland. It's all the other attackers they've got. And while the, everyone knows the problems at United will all stem from the top and he can always find the roots back to there. But fundamentally right now, Ten Hag is not doing what's required of him and he can't be faultless in all this. He can't keep looking far apart. And every time United lose, you can't keep on saying it's the owners, the owners, the owners, because that is Ten Hag's team. He's got his blueprints on it now. £400 million spent, the team that he chose to play the game and they just weren't good enough on the day. And the substitutions were, were ludicrous. You only had to hit the booze again when Hoyland was taken off. That I do agree to an extent that Hoyland didn't quite do enough on the day, but... It's what it represents. You know, this is your guy. And if you're then saying, well, we have to protect him, well, why do you spend so much money on him in the first place? Why have you taken such a gamble on this young man? Because he is a, a quality striker. He's got the potential there, but the pressure is going to kill him and you can't keep throwing him under the bus like that. We'll go into the penalty shell then, uh, talking about Hoyland. I mean, it was incredibly soft, Samuel, the, the, the opening goal. It probably was a penalty uh, when VAR reviewed it. What did you make of that? What was your opinion? Because Tenard came out after the game and he kind of said that was a key moment. But if we're being honest, City were just a different class and they would have won the game anyways. Well, that was, in, in a way, it's the annoying thing because, yes, you see fouls like that that are not given, but you have to look at that in isolation. It was a foul. It happened in the penalty area. So therefore, it's a penalty. And of course, you'll have the, the paranoid fans on Twitter who will say, well, what about this one, this time, and this screenshot, and that, and what have you. The what aboutery, I mean, I've got, I've got no time for it, really. In that, at that very moment, you just have to judge it for what it is. And 
it was daft of Hoyland and unfortunately his his rawness was exposed at both ends with that and also with the one-on-one that he pretty much scuppered himself because he didn't get the ball he didn't take the right trajectory or go go the right um when he when he got it I think Stone's got a touch for it as well which almost helped him but he he didn't he didn't get away from stones. He didn't time. So it's not the timing of it, but for the use of Harry Kane, he would use his body in such a way Ka- that he Kane would is, the yeah, ball and Kane's, like that. Kane's not as quick as Hoyland, yeah. but he would have ensured that he got in front of the defender so the defender couldn't take him out. And if he takes him out, he's sent off, or he, and he possibly gets a penalty as well, or he just goes one on one, and chances are he scores. And I felt sorry for Hoyland in the sense that, and I feel sorry for him. He is fulfilling a role he should but not be fulfilling. He should not be leading the line for Manchester United. He's too young, he's too raw, he's got a mediocre goal-scoring record. And that is on the club because they didn't have the ambition to get one of the handful of proven strikers, goal-scorers out there. They had to test the water with Harry Kane. One, because Ten Hag wanted him. Two, I think I really do think if they'd really gone, you know, pushed the boat out for him. I think they might have got him in the end because Tottenham absolutely had to sell him and United, chances are they'd have outbid Bayern Munich for him. And also, if there is a bidding war, I think Kane would have said, I want to sign for Manchester United. That would always have been his preference. There was some talk about when he even got on the plane going to Munich and there was still some uncertainty about the deal because of changes being made and whether he was having a change of heart. So it doesn't help. One, you've got a raw striker um, tasked with scoring goals in a team that struggled for goals last season. And lo and behold, now the, the goal scoring record in the team is worse. Haaland has scored as many Premier League goals as, as United have this season. They've got minus five goal difference in the Premier League. There was that um, breakdown of all the forwards in the Premier League this season. Rashford is the only one with a Premier League goal. Hoyland has not got a goal in seven Premier League games. Which means Jude and Sancho is joint second, then, isn't he? Well, yeah, exactly. They did, and and this, <laughs> this graphic did even, like, I think it was almost like twisting the knife, really. It did mention uh, Sancho because he has had minutes in the Premier League. And that is a failing on the club's planning. And Ten Hag has to take accountability for that because... Okay, he didn't get the one he really wanted, despite what United say that they got their first choice target. They didn't. That was Kane, and they didn't get him. They got Hoyland. And if you're going to, you know, shop at that category, you've either one got to have get someone in who's got a really compelling goal-scoring record at their past clubs. Hoyland didn't have that, and also you've got to have someone who's going to take, ease the burden on him. United were talking about Rashford doing that in the summer, as if he's a competent centre forward. He's not. They realised that after Ten Hag belatedly realised that after two games, he's played him on the left and he's even performing like a drain there. Anthony Marshall is a complete non-entity. He may start against Newcastle because it's the League Cup, but I think the way it's going and given the time that Hoyland came off, the chances are Hoyland will start and he should start as well. But that that planning is is just staggering. Hoyland should be occupying the role Alvarez occupied at City last season, learning his trade behind one of the best goal scorers around. And United are not you know that that's again in terms of you talk about the chasm, that's a chasm in terms of planning between the clubs. And United can carp on about FFP and profitability and sustainability rules and I get that. But if they were better at selling players and they got more players out then they would be able to spend more. And if you're talking about spending, yes, there are constraints, there are nuances with it. 
they have spent more than 400 million pounds under this manager and there are so many of those so many of those signings are just duds i mean anthony yesterday was an absolute disgrace it was a disgrace that he was shaking his head on the bench i don't know why um it was completely the right decision not to start him because he's been dreadful this season and when he came on that that kick out is just stupid i I, I wish it's it's almost like some players try and yeah when they're playing well they try and just go I'm not using the term passion merchant, but do you know what I mean? Some players just over-egg it and try and get the crowd on side by Fernandez roughing that. them up and stuff. But Anthony, what, what is he playing that? I, I think when, when, when Hannibal Meshbury did it at Anfield, you could kind of forgive it more because he was a, he was a, he was a young player. It was his second appearance, yeah. I think, for the club. Anthony's meant to be a senior player. And he was just a disgrace. I mean, the referee would have done United a favour if he'd sent him off and ensured that he was suspended for three games. And unfortunately, that's not the case. But th- this, again, you talk about where do United go from here and that that's a big issue because I don't think any of us are saying sack the manager but I also feel that we are possibly past the point of no return under Ten Hag that I can't I can't see United becoming a genuine credible force under him now because of the way things have spiralled and if you do change the manager which again I'm not advising right now what's going to be required a rebuild and that new manager will probably come in and say that eighty-five million pound uh, winger that you sign over there, I don't want. But well, they're him. all his players now, as well. Yeah, the they're all his squad. players, and this rebuild hasn't even been completed. So, yeah, as and you it, say, yeah. and someone said there as well. You can't then keep on saying let's throw money at it. You can't just look at yesterday and say buy him a new centre back, buy him this, this, and that. Because where's the evidence they'll get the right player, and where's the evidence they'll get someone that's actually going to work? I mean, I know it's really easy to say that. Every time United lose, oh, they need a new centre back. It's, it's obviously do need better players fundamentally there, but there is no track record to suggest they would they would get one in January or next summer anyway. So, how much more money do you throw at this? I mean, I've been saying for weeks on this podcast and writing actually that I mean we all have that the cracks have been there, even when they've been winning games, it's been very very unconvincing. Well, and Samuel said earlier as well, Ten Hag's logic of picking the same back four that had got very fortuitous wins in these past three games. Is that, that undermines it all altogether and there was like some sort of false optimism going into the game that you know United got confidence they've got the momentum going but you just have to look back at those last three wins that they had going into the derby to see they were so flawed and they were so gettable anyway and they were disgraceful against Sheffield United in the early stages they were against Copenhagen as well they got away with it in the end and against a team like City against most teams in the Premier League they just will not get away with it but that's the most concerning aspect isn't it because Ten Hag right it's supposed to be different to his predecessor in the sense that he'd have principles a style of play the team would be organised no matter what we thought that's what we're going to get from him and then this season it's just been a mess there's no identity there's no there's style no style you look at them and you think what are they trying to do and that that's is what just, we were saying when we left Old Trafford before that talent on the pitch that's unforgivable really yeah, yeah exactly well when we left Old Trafford say we were saying what is my United style of play? If you literally ask Ten Hag or ask one of his players, what is it you are trying to do on the pitch? They aren't then backing it up with, with the, their approach, their tactical approach, their formation, the way they play. And I think, was it Jamie Carragher who said, what do they do during the week? What do they actually work on? And we what? were saying that under Solskjaer yeah. as well. But... And that's what's more frustrating for me. It's the fact that in two years' time, they spent £400 million and are back at square one again. They, they you saw these quotes, actually, they were via place with Dutch media. Uh, and Ten Hag was asked why he couldn't play like how Ajax play at Manchester United and he responded we will never be able to do that uh, the players decide how you play was basically the crux of that answer they're just done like and that was just, that in Dutch that he gave that yeah to be a place it was shared on on social media just earlier on the day actually it came out I'm surprised I hadn't emerged yeah, last night actually but those quotes have just came around 
but what do you think of that? That that's all. That almost sounds defeatist in that if you're sounds bowing, like you're to, if you're it? bowing to the players' demands, then you might as well get out of get out of there. Uh, I I don't I don't buy that, and I mean the the Ajax comparison. Yeah, you want to play good football. It's there's no point even talking about what he did in the Eredivisie because it was in the Eredivisie, but. Postacoglu's gone into Tottenham. Everyone knows how they play. He's put his imprint on them very quickly. Yeah, Unai yeah, Emery has done Villa. it, Aston yep. Villa as well. And it's getting to the point now that, speaking um, to our colleague and United fan Liam Corliss earlier, he was suggesting that Emery was, would, would actually be a good shout to, to manage United. That's how bad and how, how, how soul-destroying he Emery's feels at, at the, the moment. Well, Bring that tweet back out. And so, yeah, that, but this is, this is the... This is the problem United have got because if you're talking about where they go from here managerial-wise, there's not a standout candidate. I think they've they've got to try and ride this out. The, se- the season is just about still salvageable. But I maintain, in terms of the end, the end goal for Manchester United has to be to win the Premier League. It has to win the title. And unfortunately, I think too much has happened in the last few months that for them, that is, that's just not going to happen now under Ten Hag. And I know there's a big problem in City in that City are awesome and Bernardo Silva was majestic yesterday and he's, he's been majestic before at Old Trafford as well and, and Haaland is an awesome goal scorer. You look at that City team, back to front, it is best in class. But then again, there weren't, I mean, second half they were superb to be fair. But, but apart think, from that, yeah. they weren't, they not feel like they got out of first. And that's the biggest problem. That's why it's so insulting, yeah. isn't it, the performance? It is like watching, uh, I was saying to Rich yesterday, that yesteryear, like school kids in Manchester, they go to Old Trafford one week and Main Road the other week and watch both teams. If you had, if you had that now, the kids would be going home to their parents or going to their school teachers saying, have we watched a different sport at Old Trafford? Because the way City operate compared to United, that... that the, the pol- they are so, they're just poles apart. If we're holding into a few decisions, and I know we already kind of have them, but it's the decision to replace Amrabat at half-time. The midfield was a bit of a mess uh, in the second half. I mean, it wasn't the first half, but McTominay, he was quite effective in a more advanced position, I thought. We know he can't play defensive midfield. He gets put there. He's pretty poor, exposed again. Um, the decision to bring Hoyland off was obviously met with boos and we've had a lot of that this season um, and it, it just f- kind of feels like that connection with fans it's slowly getting eroded again uh, between yeah. the team and, and the supporters yeah the Hoyland one you know every time he's going to get subbed I think there'll be boos just because as someone said there is no other option to play up front he's the only central striking option but you've put all your eggs in one basket with Hoyland and it's a combination of his performance fundamentally not being good enough the fact that you know the the pressure's got to carry on building, building. You really hope it doesn't affect him too much and knock all of his confidence out there because, you know, there is a good player in there. But that's, I think that's the bigger concern, isn't it? It's the fact that the, the fans who were so behind Ten Hag last season and there's always been the, the rhetoric. You know, he's, ha- he's had a lot to deal with off the pitch. Fair play to him for that. He did come in as this sort of totalitarian. He's put his foot down. But he's kind of only got that, that approach now. He's only sort of a disciplinarian. Whereas lots of other managers, you need to be able to to handle players in different ways. Some of them need an arm around the shoulder. Some of them need to be told off, quite frankly. But Ten Hag, you sense there's only one sort of mood of him and it is just a real fierce sort of strict school teacher. And, you know, if he fell out with... so And it, the players he's fallen out with, he, you know, he managed to get rid of Ronaldo. He won, won on that one. You look at the other players, he's, he's get, trying to get rid of Sancho. What happens if he had a fallen out with someone like Fernandez or Rashford, one of the absolute kings of this dressing room? Then the players could start to turn on him as well. I mean... 
the fans are starting to but see then the, the flip side we all welcome that in the dressing room did need yeah. that firm approach it did, did need that, that yeah. approach yeah it definitely did but it only works if the buy if the players buy into what you're doing and they see that this is a guy worth being behind this is a guy that we'll fight for on the pitch because we know what we're trying to do we know what the end goal is and we believe in this man does anyone believe like Sam said no one believes that is going to win the title this season I would be surprised that they got into the, the top four again this season just because of the competition there. I mean, we saw Liverpool win again on, on Sunday. We saw Villa win. Brighton got a point at Fulham. I mean, there's no guarantees of a top four finish this season. I just think that that belief that was there last season and it was used as a season of progress, I think Neville called it sort of a bridge season or a gap season where you put the foundations down and then you build on top. Well, they put the foundations down, they bulldoze them again. Where are they? They're back to square one again. And you can't keep going in that cycle because the longer they do, people start to see the cracks and the players will start to believe it as well. And as soon as Ten Hag loses the dressing room or all the fans, then there's curtains. An absolute mess, but we've got more to sink our teeth into in part two. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Road podcast. Now, Samuel, that defeat meant United have lost five of their 10 league games for the first time since 1986-87, which highlights just how quite bad and poor this start has been. You talked about there the point of no return with Tenor kind of turning it around in the long term. But in the short term, do you think he can kind of recapture some form and improve the results? Because we've just talked about how poor the style of play is. Surely that's something that just doesn't improve in a, a couple of weeks, three weeks' time. That's ingrained, isn't it? Yeah, and every every team they come up against, they're going to fancy their chances against Man United. And we've seen that Old Trafford in recent weeks. Teams are going to United and they're, they're, they're utterly unfazed. I mean, Crystal Palace lost there in the League Cup, but it was almost as if they lulled them into a full sense of security to, ahead of beating them on the Saturday, and they did beat them. I mean, how many home games have they lost now this season? They've lost against City, Palace, uh, Galatasaray as well. You think how good the home form was last season yeah. as well. It was their strongest point, wasn't it? Well, there was that stat yesterday that they've been in front for 29 minutes in home games in the Premier League this season. And they've been losing for 200-odd of those minutes. Uh, there's, there's no hiding place at the moment. And they've not got a period where they can, where Ten Hag can, you know, gather them you know get them together I mean, what they need is it feels like it's almost as if they could if they could pause the season like they did with the world cup last year and have a mini pre-season they they would they would accept that offer in in an instant but they can't do that uh newcastle have a score to settle on on wednesday fulham have not started well this season but 12:30 at creme cottage on saturday you can see that going all right for united and then they're in a very atmospheric ground um, against Copenhagen next week, and you think, well, it's, it's just as well that at least the, the these bank of fixtures end with Luton at home um, before the November internationals, because I mean they should at least win that one. But as as you just alluded to there, I, in terms of implementing a style, he would have to make very drastic changes to that team now, and I don't think he necessarily knows. He can't know what the right changes are that, that can be made because look at, at what's happened so far this season. And you, you sympathise with him to an extent that he's not been able to pick his strongest team all season. But again, they decided to sign Hoyland knowing that he was going to be out for a month and also knowing that he had a mediocre goal-scoring record in Italy and 
what you see is what you get. I don't think any of us are surprised that he's not scored from his first seven Premier League games. But there have to be drastic changes in other areas of the squad because you've invested in Hoyland and he is trying his heart out. Rashford has to be dropped and he should have been dropped some time ago. One goal in 13 games is is appalling. His body language is appalling. It was again yesterday. When he was substituted, a lot of supporters cheered him off. That is that is telling. You can't keep persevering with someone who is is in a rut, frankly. And he's got he's got fewer goals than he did this time uh, a couple of seasons ago. And he ended that season with five five goals uh, for United. I don't think it's necessarily left field because he was quite prominent in pre-season until he got injured. But I think he's got to start Mainu now. I think that they've. They've got to use this Newcastle game, although it's a cup tie, they've got to use it as a game to turn the page and really just freshen up that team, bring some players in who you are going to invest in the long term, who you look at them and you think, OK, we, we could have an identity with those players, Hoyland, uh, Garnacho, Mainu, and of course they're going to need some experience as well. Um, Mason Mount, I think he, he, he possibly just gets in by default, but... We're all asking every week. It seems like we're all asking each other, "What does Mason Mount do?" And again, you go back to the planning from United. I thought from the outset that was just a mismatch. I mean, when Liverpool were in for Mount, I thought that makes sense. Mount under Klopp playing against the advanced midfielder behind Salah, Nunez, uh, Jota, whoever, uh, Gakpo or, or Luis Diaz. I, I thought, yeah, I can completely buy into that. I never really thought that with United. And then United decide to rebrand him as a midfielder. And nobody was referring to Mason Mount as a midfielder at Chelsea. Everyone thought him as, as an attacking midfielder. He, he was playing high, high up, a playmaker. And watching him this season, I'm not surprised that it's gone as badly as it has. Because one, look at all the signings United have made in recent years and players who have fallen by the wayside, but also it just seemed like a mismatch. I just think he chose the wrong club. And it have been interesting, had Liverpool got in the Champions League, whether Mount would have gone there. You, you sometimes wonder, Champions League football and off being able to offer it, how much of a factor is it? Because if, I mean, Liverpool were clearly in for him. I, I thought that would have been the logical move. And, and sometimes, you know, players are just starstruck by the option of, or the opportunity of, of staying in the Champions League, but already Mount has lost his place. And I was, a friend uh, flagged a tweet that came my way last week when I, I, essentially I just, you know, raised the fact that of all the England stars who've, who've moved in the summer, it seems like four of them are doing brilliantly. And of course, the one who is struggling and is out of his team and is out of the England squad is Mason Mount. And uh, someone with a, of course, he had a, he had a verified tick on Twitter, which is a red flag in itself. But he said that he's been playing well since he came back from injury. Um, I think he's only played well for 45 minutes against Crystal Palace in the League Cup. Now, if, if that is a compelling case for someone playing well, then yeah, fair enough. But it, it, like, factually, it isn't. He's, he's, been, he's been dreadful. Why does this happen then, Richard, with Rashford, if we look at him a bit closer? I mean, 30 goals last season, the best season of his career, absolutely fantastic, singing his praises on this podcast. And he comes out, and he just looks a complete shell of himself. And it's, he's just devoid of, of confidence. He's not doing the right things. He's making the wrong decisions. And I feel as the weeks have progressed, it's just got worse. And it's just, he, he looks like a player who just thinks, oh, I can't put, I can't score. That chance when he took a touch and Kyle Walker 
went past them. He would have scored that last season. And what, yeah. what, what has went wrong? I just don't, I don't understand. I'm scratching my head. I think supporters are. I think we all are. Yeah. I think Ten Hag must be as well. I wish I knew the answer to that one yeah. because it is just... I mean, did, did H not ask him on Sky Sports? No, <laughs> no that, that journalistic well, titan. Our, our friend uh, Ash said... Uh, as soon as he gets a new car. F- former employee, he said, well, no, he said, now he's doing loads of media commitments this week. He's bound to score a hat-trick. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Well, our friend, our friend Ash said, also made the prediction that... I, he, he said, as soon as Rashford gets a new contract, his form will dip. He did say that. He did say that, which well, was predictable. He's fallen off a cliff. Which never fallen mind off a cliff. Like I said, I think the first couple of weeks of the season, I almost gave him a bit more sympathy saying that, you know, he had the burden of last season. He's hardly had a rest sort of football-wise for a long time now. And you know, that, there's obviously got to be an element of that. You know, on the back of what was a, an inhumane sort of schedule last season, you've got the World Cup in there as well. You know, he's played a hell of a lot of football. So that's got to take its toll. He probably just needs a, a prolonged rest maybe from that himself. But he's one of these players where it's almost just like... His, Whatever his form is, he just takes it to the extreme. When he's good, he can go on these incredible runs where it's just like world-class, as he was last season. And then when things don't go his way, it gets to him and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And he, he needs to save for himself at the moment. Like I said, I mean, Solskjaer used to have this knack of, he used to try and play players back into form, just stick with them every single week and hope they got a goal that sparked them. I think for Rashford, he just needs to be taken out of the team because fundamentally, he's just not good enough at the moment and what message does that send to, to his teammates? Because you've, I know Garnaccio has traditionally never played well from the start himself, really. But he has to be playing ahead of, ahead of Rashford right now. And the perverse thing as well, yesterday, is Rashford's best spells came when he played on the right. He, there yeah. was a brilliant ball into McTominay, which cross, almost got yeah. the goal. And he, like I said, when he, he, he got the ball from central position and went out right for that walker chance that he, he fired wide. But... We are told Rashford can't play on the right. He doesn't want to play on the right. He prefers being on the left where he can cut inside on a stronger foot and fire shots a goal. Well, right now, United, they've got a huge issue still on their right wing. Why can't he just play there? Why can't he play there? Because then that opens up the left channel to someone like Garnacho. Even probably suits players like Bruno Fernandes playing better there if they have to be repurposed there. Because remember, some of Paul Pogba's best performances were when he's on the, the left wing cutting in. Fernandes was the same for me. But I think fundamentally, he's just inexcusable. You have to take him out of the team because... I know every manager is going to have their favourites, but fundamentally this player just does not deserve to be starting every single week for Man United. He's not backing it up. The performances are, are getting worse. I think he needs to save him for himself. I think he just needs to take out the team out of the firing line, give him a week off, say, look, this midweek, don't bring him to the stadium, just let him have a night off. And you go again at the weekend against Fulham. Go on, Rashford, get to the bar, have a pint, enjoy yourself on Wednesday night, I'll let the lads play. Uh, rest, rest up. Is that the advice for the... Maybe medical, not a pint, but I'm team. saying, yeah, it depends what it's pint of, to be honest. But yeah, I, mean, I would just say, I would honestly just say, have a few days off. It looked like he had a birthday party last night, didn't it? I um, didn't, didn't see that. Yeah, Eamon Clark uh, filed photographs Af- from, after from the China game. White. Well, yes, so you can imagine. Well, they, they were very careful. He's it should be stressed that Rashford hasn't been photographed, uh, but I think these these footballers were taking the, the back exit in, uh, vans were pulling right up to it. So you you can imagine that's going to go down very badly with, with some supporters. I'm not, I'm not saying it was right or wrong what he did. I mean, you know, it's his, I think it's his birthday, is it, to, tomorrow? Um, so it will have been around that. But Maybe he was having a beer then. Now we'll not speculate on that. Um, Samuel, you wrote a line on Richard Arnold today. Um, the club is making progress despite poor starts to the yeah. season. Oh, what's that? That's another baffling 
lightning to come out of the I, I was baffled about it when I was told it as well. Uh, yeah, um, he's he, he's literally used those words to someone, um, an interested observer on United, and was was talking to him about it. And uh, yeah, he, he maintains that they're, they're making good progress, and that's a team who, as you said, have, have lost lost as many as they've won this season. I think it's won seven, lost seven. Uh, I suppose they had record revenue last week that they posted for last season. But Very Woodward, that, that was isn't a, it? Yeah, that, that was a loss as well. The, Playing performance doesn't uh, impact our ability to make profit. Indeed, but they, they still post a loss in, in those accounts. So uh, I, I get it. I, I suppose sometimes he's asked these, he, when, he's, when he's speaking and it's, and it's not, not on the record strictly, uh, he's he's probably still a bit paranoid whether what he says it could get out there and it, it's good, and the share price is going to fluctuate or, or nosedive or what have you. But uh, I, I suspect he deep down doesn't believe that, but he's kind of in constrained as to what he can say. But um, also he doesn't have to insult one's intelligence by saying United are making good progress when, as you said earlier, it's been their worst start to a season since 1986 and. Back then, of course, we'll know what happened in, in the November. Um, Alex Ferguson was appointed. So you're trying to suggest that a manager of Ferguson's ilk is just on the horizon? Well, I don't think so. I, I don't I, think, I, I don't think there'll be a four-man delegation driving up to, to Glasgow to sound out um, Brendan Rodgers. Although, I mean, having, having said that, I, there'll probably be some don't people thinking... <laughs> don't tell fear about that. Uh, Arnold wanted to brand himself as quite different to Ed Woodward, which when he came in as CEO... Wanted. Uh, yeah, wanted. It's definitely not uh, happening like that. I mean, he's very much a Glazers man. We need to talk about the Glazers then. We have just said in the first part, look, the Glazers don't pick the team they're not responsible for the tactics the player performance but there is a culture of failure a culture of decline we've saw over the last decade the mismanagement and there was an argument on Sky Sports I think between Jamie Carrier and Gary Neville actually and they were debating that and Neville was basically suggesting that as long as the Glazers are in charge nothing's going to change and of course Tenag has to take a lot of responsibility for what's going on but there is this overarching just I guess it's a great depression around the club isn't it when the, when the Glazers are custodians yeah well there's always got to be the sort of devil's advocate of you who says, what if you got a Postacoglio or Emery in and they spent the money wisely? United could suddenly overnight become title champs or whatever. There is always that little part of your head that says that. But like you said, fundamentally, whenever United lose these games, it always comes back to the ownership. It always comes back to the fact that the people in charge at the very top, as we said then, as long as they're making money off the pitch, that's all that matters fundamentally. The fo- if, if business matters are ahead of football matters, then the football is always going to be secondary in that regard. And it, it all does stem down to that ownership. And again, it brings it in. There's so many different facets of it. I mean, you look at the transfers, for example. You look at what Man City can do. I know it's so tedious to always say, look at what they're doing. But when Pep Guardiola wants a player, he says, look, I want a centre-back. The transfer panel, Tixie goes off. And they, they, they make a shortlist of three centre-backs and they say, which one do you want? It's not the manager choosing his players every single time, but that stems from having the football structure and people ahead of you and above you as well, who have the power, who have the knowledge and who have the care and interest of the club, which Man United fundamentally do not do. That It is a business, it's a brand, it is not a football club at the moment because their interests of what happens on the pitch are secondary. And until that changes, I know it's tedious, but that fundamentally, you just cannot see it happening. And, and we've written about it so many times, it must fall on deaf ears to a, a degree now because it is every single time United play one of their major rivals. You know that the Sky Sports Super Sunday pundits will all have the same debate after the game. I know you can say that, look, get a manager in, 
they spend money wisely, look, they spent £400 million, then it could change. It could, but it's very unlikely that's going to happen. And even if that did happen, it's not sustainable success because the owners simply do not care enough. And, you know, Ratcliffe's sort of marginal takeover to begin with is a potential step in the right direction. I think fans will only sort of believe it when they see it for themselves. But, yeah, it just all stems down to owners who just do not care about what happens on the pitch. It's not their, not their interest. So Jim Ratcliffe's obviously making an offer, or has made an offer for a minority stake, 25% of the club. He's going to take control of the football operations and have a big impact in that regard. But can he really have significant change at this club? Because at the moment, it just, it just feels broken, Samuel. The talk is cheap even now. We, that's still to be ratified. There's still to be... There's, there's no communique from the stock exchange. I still... You know, it's a 25% stake. You know, it's Joel Glazer signs off everything. Is he just going to say, okay, you take care of the football side and I'll just you know, enjoy this, you know, this massive cash cow and, and, and live off that? Um, I don't think he will. I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily as straightforward as that. But the, how, wherever you look at the club, there is, there's something broken. The, the structure is just completely wrong. Um, and Woodward told us years ago, he, he said, if you get recruitment wrong, you're, you're <laughs> I'm sure they'll beat, beat that out. But that was his, um, that, that was his outlook on it. And, it, and it's, it's correct as well. If you do get it wrong, you're not going to have the right players in place and you're not going to win things. And although they've got, I, I think Gary Neville said yesterday, they're the only club in the world that doesn't have a sporting director. I don't know whether he meant like the literal title of a sporting director because that is true, but they have got a football director and they have got a technical director. I think people don't actually, well, obviously fans do. You think the majority of fans understand that John Murder is the football director, but a lot of people still repeat that lie that obviously a sporting director is I different. I think it's, I, in fairness, I think they look at the way United sign players and they think, well, the, no this is the manager it, say yeah. so, so that's, that's the way it works. And maybe some of them are just, you know, they they forget that Murta is is the football director that he is at Carrington that he is at in the director's box for for the home games as well and also I suppose from from someone we've just had you've got this SEG influence coming in as well where they've Kevin Voss yeah Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> any listeners of the I think of the penultimate podcast will know that's a joke it's Kevin Voss but there's there's that coming into it as well and that's that's like a throwback to I mean, you had the infamous period when um, Charles Ferguson's son Jason was an agent and was trying to sign up United players left, right and centre and um, that, that caused ructions at the club to the point that they, they put, put out a statement saying that they wouldn't actually be um, dealing with Jason Ferguson anymore, which is pretty extraordinary given Ferguson was, was the manager. But that, that has to change and unfortunately for United, with, with Murta's position, there's not really been... A standout signing where you can credit him with it whereas at other clubs Michael Edwards was credited with Mohamed Salah going to Liverpool uh, Chiki Bergiristein is always the guy posing with uh, the City signings and look at his track record at City and look at his track record at Barcelona as well and okay the, the Casemiro signing was the that was the one that you could say that was murder because but United, last summer, they were pursuing Frankie de Jong for 100 odd days, whatever it was. And Murta was doing the legwork and putting in the groundwork on the off chance they would go for Casemiro. They did. Casemiro was excellent last season. He hasn't been this season. 
and even that deal, when it, when it was announced, everyone was, you know, Schweinsteiger came to mind, Falcao came to mind. Unfortunately, fortunately for United, Casemiro did buck that trend last season. But this season, he has been performing how a lot of us feared he would be at the start of his United career. And so, although that was a success to an extent in the first season, it was still a signing that United have been, had been making eight years earlier, taking you know, players from big clubs. And as a lot of United fans will say it now, like, and Rich was saying yesterday, you know, in three years' time, they'll probably try and sign Joshua Kimmich for 80 million or when he's, you know, when he's past 32 or certainly past his peak. And if Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or Barcelona want to sell these players of a certain age, you've, you've got to think twice about that. And with Casemiro, although they've had short-term gain with a really good season, this season it's it's gone it's gone very wrong very quickly, and there's just not a strategy there. You can't. It's just no way to run a football club of signing players who played in the Eredivisie or were born in the Netherlands or who played for Ajax. It's just it's it's wrong. Uh, Anthony should never have been signed by United, and they were the only club in the world that were going to sign him because he played under Eric Ten Hag. No other club were coming close to him or going near him, and United still ended up paying 100 million euros for him which is just... This is, a, this is a big statement, but could Anthony be remembered as the worst signing in the club's history? And there's been a, a catalogue of, of really bad signings. In the post-Ferguson era, let's say, no, think, Di Maria, Schweinsteiger, these big names. For the fee paid and what he's actually delivered yeah, and his track record, yeah. and the fact that at least Di Maria, you know, he had just won the... Champions League, he was man match in the final. He's won a World Cup. You know, he is a good football that didn't work out for United. Anthony, he wasn't even a stand-up player for Ajax and Eredivisie. I mean, you look at players who've been signed for the Premier League, you look at like Van Wolfswinkel and Josie Altidore, they were plundering like 30 goals a season in the Eredivisie. This is Anthony, who was like barely getting double digits. And like someone said, no, no other team wanted him. And if another team wanted him... Where would he go after United? Well, who would have even bought him over when, yeah. when United did buy him? Back to I, Brazil. Yeah, quite possibly. Back, back to Ajax. Yeah. yeah. Uh, absolute mess. Uh, we'll be back for a moment in part three. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's football is here to stay, and so are we. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, don't worry, producer Seb in the corner. I am giving a nod to the Women's Football Monthly Magazine. If that's your uh, cup of tea, head across to Reach PLC online, check out some good interviews, etc., uh, and good coverage of the women's game. Uh, so give that a shout out. Anyways, back to Manchester United. Um, look at the fixtures, Rich. Samuel just kind of mentioned them. We've got Newcastle on Wednesday in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Fulham away, Copenhagen away, then Luton at home, Everton away. <sighs> Those five games, Manchester United should be winning all five games. But I mean, the last half an hour of the podcast. You, sh you should go on there because then it's Galatasaray away and Newcastle away. And I think this, that period, with just the away games, you start to worry for Ten Hag. And can they come through that period? What, what's your prediction in the next few weeks? 
I might have to go sort of gattuso on this because sometimes it'll be good sometimes <laughs> yeah we're allowed to stay on this podcast now Samuel's sort of uh, yeah, yeah. seal on that um, yeah you know maybe it's it's so perverse that you know I'm expecting so little from United that they might surprise me by being okay in the next few games I do think that they all look very, very tough. I, I would always sort of back United at home in the, in the Carabao Cup just because what they did last season. You know, Newcastle on Wednesday night, it's going to be an interesting one that I know you'll have your own third we'll on the that, game. Yeah, yeah, but beyond that, like someone said, Fulham away. That, United have the, this ability to make any game look tricky right now. Copenhagen looks difficult. And even you saying Everton there, I mean, that win at West Ham looked very impressive from them. We said recently in the podcast, Fulham have been poor. I watched them against Tottenham. I thought they were all right. And then they got a point uh, just yeah. at the weekend there against Brighton, didn't they? So, yes. potential Bernaskin. Yeah, and they've got some players. I mean, obviously from my point of view, like Harry Wilson scored twice against Croatia in the international break. He's in, he's in good form at the moment. He'll be fancy himself. I mean, a boy of the Liverpool fan, he'll be fancy himself to pile more misery on them. Fulham have some good players, you know, in, in their squad anyway. And we saw last season how difficult it was. You know, United got that last-minute winner from yeah. Garnacho, but Fulham were the better side probably for, for a chunk of that game, certainly. And, yeah, right now, this United team, as someone said, it stems back to what do you even suggest for a team right now? Like I said, on Wednesday night, it'd be nice to see some youngsters play. But when it comes back to the Fulham game on Saturday, it might be influenced by the Carabao Cup game. But there is no sort of logical or safe option anymore with the lineup because the key players and the star players aren't performing well enough. And there is a case to drop just about anyone. There is no one. You talk about first name on the team sheet. It's sort of this weekend, it should be Verano Nana and just do a raffle for the others because who cares? It doesn't. It doesn't matter right now. Like, <laughs> like it, it, but you might as well because right now you're not, there is no rhyme or reason for United's lineups. Obviously, Newcastle. Then Samuel move on to the game. Um, they defeated Manchester City at St James's Park in the last round. United brushed aside Crystal Palace in a non-event, really three uh, 0 I thought this game was going to be a real test of United's credentials. Newcastle obviously were in excellent form, but they've been really badly affected by injuries in the last few weeks. They're losing some key players, Isaac, Harvey Barnes, uh, etc. Could go on. So I think their team is going to be quite weak. I think Eddie Howe will play the second string. Um, Ken United's string. Yes, yeah, so United second string beat Newcastle second string, and we talked about changes. What changes would you make for the game? I don't think it will be a second string from United. I mean, Anana started against Palace in the previous round, and we all thought, well, it would probably be in his debut. So why would you start being Bayinda against uh, a far better team in in Newcastle? Uh, Newcastle have, you know, they've, they've still got their trophy drought, which that in itself is an incentive. Then there's the United angle to it. So, uh, although every it seems like every team they they do make you know a reasonable amount of changes in League Cup games, you've also got to you know, field a team that's pretty strong enough that is good enough that the way I look at it from Eddie Howe, I, th- I suspect Eddie Howe will look at it in terms of the team that he picks. He will pick a team that he thinks can can beat United on on the night. Now there will be changes to it, of course, but I don't think he's just going to look at that game as one to toss it off just because they're in Europe this Wait, season the carrots dangled there for, from a Newcastle perspective you've got a United team here wounded and, yeah, and struggling and you've we'll got a relatively we'll strong team out of the competition as well yeah. Newcastle if they beat United they, they'll have a good Tottenham are out as, as well Arsenal, Arsenal still in that thing on Arsenal yeah. Liverpool so yeah. Arsenal Liverpool United the draws are the big teams, out, but, but it's, it's opened up a little bit with 
a Chelsea out? I can't remember. No, I think, I think Chelsea are through. Yeah. But I mean, Chelsea are, I mean, they're as much of a basket case as United Chelsea. these days. But it's, it has opened up a little bit where City monopolised the competition for, it felt like, more about half a decade until United won it last year. They're out of it. So it would be remiss of Newcastle to just... You know, have a you know, a cursory interest in this game when they've already knocked out City and United are uh, uh, really reeling from a really bad result at, at the weekend. But as I said earlier, I would start Mainu. I know he's not had any first team minutes since goodness. It was probably the Leicester game Less in February in terms of competitive minutes. I should should stress because as I said, he, he was quite prominent in pre-season until he got that injury against Real Madrid. But Ten Hag has, has big plans for him and he is a player in Ten Hag's image and we're talking about you know, fearing for Ten Hag because of these sequence of fixtures coming up. Well, you know, try and implement your style and I, I think that will bank goodwill with supporters as well. It, it should be noted that, that those in the Stratford end were singing beyond full-time yesterday, which, again, that, that, that did... Thinking about it now, it reminded me a little bit of when United got thumped 3-0 by Liverpool under Moyes. You had a lot of singing going on there because there was that defiance. And I don't think they've gone quite as far back as, as, as the Moyes era just yet, but it's, it's still another um, worrying parallel for them. So I would get Manu in. Garnacho has to start. So be it if you want to trial Rashford on, on the right and see if, if he's up to it, uh, if, if he wants to do it. I mean, it, it would be very... Generation Z, millennial of, of, of these footballers to watch a, the, the Beckham Netflix documentary and realise, you know, actually, you know, I could play, I could play on the right hand side, I'm right footed, I could just cross it in, you know, as if footballers weren't doing that for more than a century anyway. Uh, in terms of a lot of the others, uh, Varane obviously has to come in and, and play a left back if you've got a left back because look what happened with with Lindelof. So. There have to be you know, substantial changes, and I'm sure there will be. If Casem, this is the this is another worrying thing for United. Casemiro has been one of their worst players this season, but it, he's, it feels like he's been missed now because he's missed a few games. Amrabat has been dreadful, and look, objectively, Casemiro is a better defensive midfielder. So you pair him with Mainu. That's what Ten Hag was trying to do in pre-season. Um, you've invested in Mason Mount. Are you going to work him into your team? Because he's he's not been he's not been starting in these these you know, very important games recently. So, although it's a it's a vital game for United and possibly represents their best chance of silverware, I think he's also got to look at it as an opportunity to right. Let's let's implement a style. Let's let's try and turn the page here because they have got they have got the players to do it. I think I don't th- I don't buy for one minute that they have a shortage of of talent in that squad to play in a crowd-pleasing way that not necessarily win every week but at least play a, a style of football that the fans are going to get behind rather than just uh hoiking it or and controlling a match yeah exactly you should be able to control a match against Copenhagen and Sheffield United you should have much more grip on it and we've always told from the moment Ten Hag came in that this is the United team he's going to look to soak up possession he's not going to drag it the ball just for, for for the sake of it but his team has got to be in control of matches and they're not now. And you can't you can't say that's down to the owners. You know, that is down to Ten Hag's tactical approach. That's down to maybe the person not being up to it. But, you know, like I said, they've got enough players there that you can't just keep on saying they need to spend more, more and more. You talk about doing that in games against Sheffield United or Copenhagen, but at home against anybody, it doesn't matter whether it's City or Barcelona or Bayern Munich, 
Manchester United should be performing better than they did yeah. on Sunday evening. Yeah, they should be able to match the bigger teams. At, at home, at 100%. Their, yeah, yeah. You should be able to go toe-to-toe with any opposition, yeah. really. Um, I'm not saying it's going to make or break the season, but the game on Wednesday is really important because Samuel's just said, it does represent the best chance for silverware, probably. We've just talked about the teams who are still left. And look, it's looking pretty grim for the remainder of the season as far as top four is concerned. So this game is quite important on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, when I remember when Mourinho got sacked. They, they were out of the League Cup by then, weren't they? Uh, they lost a Dark Derby, Derby on game. Penalties. But, you know, if you got to the end of December and United were already out of the League Cup, mid-table and out of the Champions League... That's a disaster. That's an absolute yeah. disaster. disaster yeah. But if you're still in the League Cup, there's always going to be that argument of, well, we could win a trophy this season. We saw what it did last season. These players have got that winning mentality. Obviously, it's not come to fruition, but there's always going to be that, that argument, you know, that, that a cup run could, could be what gets you back on track really so I think from United's benefit you know it's not one that you want to sort of throw away they need to take it seriously it might only be the League Cup but right now as the only trophy they've really got a chance of winning you'd say realistically so they've got to pursue it properly and they've got to treat it with respect like Samuel said mix up the team to a degree but still United need to win this game they need to put in another convincing performance like we saw in the last round of, of the competition and they need to give the fans something to believe in they need to prove after this this tough week that Ten Hag is the right man going forward and that he is someone worth sticking by Juan Basaka could be back as well I think he's been training on Friday wasn't he so potentially and Samuel's got his little I mean that's, <laughs> that's not exactly Roy Keane coming back and start well, the trouble that's, season that's is it I was about to say. Like, I'm considering that as a huge boost but that's where we are right now isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's, it's I do incredible. think there is an element of though like once you've got Shaw and Juan Basaka back then that will really Shaw's a huge United. miss definitely on, but, that, on that side you know Juan Basaka's been been really good this calendar year. Yeah, I, I, I'm not doing but, it as a slight on him. Yeah, he has but, had a good calendar year. But if one second played on Sunday, United still lose that game. Yeah, of course, mean, of course. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's not that sort of transformative. So if I had to, you had to nail your colours to the mast and Samuel United progressing to the next round of the Carabao Cup, do you think? And I mean, I'm not a betting man, unlike you, Samuel. You're not, you're not. I don't know who you're talking <laughs> about. some of the Newcastle squad. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. But if we look a bit further ahead, you discussed the... It's 8 o'clock there, the 2nd of December at St James's Park. A bit further You've afield. got it ringed in your calendar in already. A few, in a ready. few weeks' time, but it should get through on Wednesday, it. but that game's going to be a real test, isn't it? It's going to be completely different, you'd think, to, to Wednesday night. That's why I said, like, in terms of extending the, the bank of fixtures, because when they come back from the November internationals, it's Goodison away, and they've had some, had some horror shows there in, over the years. It's Galatasaray away, which is probably the ultimate bear pit in, in Europe. And then it's Newcastle away at 8pm on a, on a Saturday night. That is not, that's a very treacherous trio of fixtures. And we all know that they're going to go into the November internationals in a, unless they somehow win these next four games. I don't think anyone's expecting that. But the chances are they'll go into the internationals in a bit of a humdrum mood. Okay, they should be, they should go into it at least with a win because they're coming up against Luton. But, it's that that period is and, and then not long after Newcastle they've got Liverpool away just before Christmas I think there's Chelsea at home at Christmas so yeah December looks really tough know, as well all, all yeah. at home as well which could be yeah. a deciding you know, game is, is it going to be a winter of, of discontent again and uh, that, that'd be another alarming parallel with with Van Gaal of course he, he really should have been sacked in that December of, of 2015 but somehow stuck around for, for the remainder of the season and we, we've not really touched upon it but I was I was quite alarmed by some of Ten Hag's answers in the press conference yesterday. He, he he did just sound quite deluded, and 
he's never it's never really sounded like that before and although he's like Van Gaal he's a Dutch manager and like Van Gaal he managed Ajax they're very different characters and they're not necessarily kindred spirits but listening to Ten Hag yesterday it, it did remind me of some of the some of the the, the, the dross frankly that, that Van Gaal used to come out with when he was United manager just the club's fault it just creeps into these managers they arrive at Manchester yes. beating positive and the club just gets, gets them all yeah. yeah gets under their skin yeah. uh, we'll leave it there then thank you very much for your time Simon. thank you Stephen and thank you Rich thank you very much and thanks to listeners as usual head across and check out on all the social channels have a great week and take care